Let's pray. Father God, we praise you. For you alone are God. There's no one else to praise. No other God that is living, able, good, faithful. So we worship your holy name. We pray, Lord, for your spirit's presence here amongst us. Fill us up to overflowing. That we would take your word to heart and we just go out and it would pour out on others as we live it out. Help us to be a a family, a, a church that is more than religion, but are faithful to you as you are faithful to us. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. The world. Have you observed the world lately around you? The world is fallen in sin. Because of Adam's sin, we read in Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, and Adam, and to Adam, God said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles... It shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. Nature, just the very creation around us, brings with it challenges. Our labor, I don't know if any of you have been at work lately, but have you found that work is challenging, it's difficult, it's hard? Our labor comes with challenges at times. The world in which we live is cursed. As as Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth. Until now. The pains of childbirth. How descriptive, isn't that? Don't nod your head, men. You don't know. Neither do I. The earth quakes and swallows up. Tsunamis overwhelm the land and they drown. Wildfires burn fields and forests. Farmers are in a constant battle with drought and freeze and flood. The world is under the influence of Satan. Just a few verses earlier than our passage today, Paul reminds us that humanity is under the power of Satan himself. Chapter 26, verses 17 and 18. There is it. Delivering you from, uh, he's talking to Paul, he says, delivering you from the people, from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive the forgiveness of sins. The world, the people in the world are under the power of Satan. God had assigned Paul to take the gospel out to the Gentiles in order to take them from darkness to light, to remove them from that grip that Satan has upon their hearts. In Ephesians 2, Paul reminds us that 
humanity is dead in their trespasses and sins. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, in which we all once walked. The Lord tells us in 1 Peter that the devil is alive and active. He's like a prowling lion just waiting for someone to devour the same way that he crept into the minds and into the hearts of Adam and Eve. Apart from Christ, mankind is separated from God, distanced from him in sin and disbelief. In, in, in this world, we are surrounded by hardship, trials, and evil. Has anybody here had a single day where they weren't frustrated with something? I'd like to meet you because I need that day. In a word, the world is lost. God is just and righteous, holy and pure, and he is gracious and merciful in his providence towards all mankind across the surface of the earth. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5.45 that he makes his sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. In spite of our sin, in spite of the fallen condition of this world, God provides for all mankind that, that maybe we would seek him, that maybe we would want to know who he is. He has revealed himself to us in creation, in his word, and in his son Jesus Christ, giving us a plan of salvation as a free gift in Christ. A chance to be restored and reconciled, that gap to be closed, that distance to be removed, that we might be returned to the God of our creation. And as we studied last week, he desires that all people would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Never leaving us, never forsaking us, he carefully watches over us in order to see his salvation plan through to its fruition. The Christian is justified. Isn't that good? Wouldn't you like to go to court and have somebody say, sorry, you're already justified. You don't need to be here. The Christian is justified in Christ. We are declared righteous before God because the punishment for our sins has been paid in full at the cross of Jesus Christ. We are sanctified in Christ. We have been made perfect, and we are being sanctified. We are being conformed to the image of God's own Son. The Christian is restored in our relationship with God in Christ alone, and has hope for eternity in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Having accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we find our identity in Christ. We approach life in Christ by him and for him. We have been called and repurposed for the sake of the gospel. As we looked at a couple of weeks ago, we are now to walk in deeds that are in keeping with our repentance. 
called to be ambassadors of the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 to 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We are called the Christian, to be salt and light in a world that is dark and dismal and in a desperate situation. As we read through our passage this morning, keep your eyes out for, it's a lot of narrative, it's a lot of description of where they went and how they got there, and keep your eyes out for the nature of the world and the nature of God, and the nature of the Christian. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 27. I'm starting at verse 1, and I'm not stopping until I get to the end of the chapter. Acts chapter 27, starting at verse 1. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy... They delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of the Adramidium, which was about to set sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day, we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. Putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of, an, of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Canidus. As the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon, coasting along it with difficulty. We came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lassia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there, on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind, called a nor'easter, struck down from the land. When the ship was caught, could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along, running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, 
we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along, since they were violently storm-tossed and began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Lost. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and have not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and to whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land, so they took a sounding and found twenty fathoms. A little further on they took a sounding again and found fifteen fathoms. And fearing that we might run across rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. As the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men stay on the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. When he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. And they were all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons on the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders, then hoisting the foresail to the wind they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow, bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and to make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. A reading of God's word. In that chapter of Acts, we see the fallen nature of the world. We see the nature of God in his providence and the nature of the walking Christian. The world is a cursed place of storms 
and hardships. Verses 7 to 9, we sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Cnidus. As the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lassia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them. They sailed slowly and with difficulty. The, the wind fought them, not allowing them to go as they wanted to. What, what are the words that Paul uses to describe Satan in Ephesians chapter 2? He is the prince of the power of the air, isn't he? Still alive and still active in this world. Twice Paul uses the word difficult to describe the journey. It took a long time and became not only difficult, but dangerous. Verses 14 to 15, we see that a storm mounts up and and just takes the situation over. They have to give themselves up to it. There's nothing more that they can do. Verses 41 and 42, we read that they finally drive the the ship aground on a reef, right? It's wrecked on a reef. And the soldiers then, what do they want to do? They want to save themselves. They want to kill the prisoners so that just in case one should escape, they won't be held accountable. Life can simply be difficult as the wind blows against us. We live in a cursed and fallen world. Sometimes it it may be that somebody would rather see us take the fall than to suffer any kind of consequences themselves. So they lie and cheat and steal. We run into trials at work. We run into trials at home. Sometimes we even run into trials on vacation, don't we? You're driving down the road and and you're going along just fine and all of a sudden traffic comes to a complete stop because a mudslide took out the road in front of you and nature did its thing, right? And then everybody in front of you is honking and getting angry and they're driving all crazy to get around and the kids in the back, they're saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we?" And you in all of your benign patience, you say, no! Shut up, enjoy your vacation with mommy and daddy, Right? Life is hard in a fallen world. There's cancer and sickness, a separation of death. The world is a cursed place of storms and hardships, but God sees us through the hardships and the storms. Verses 23 and 24 of our passage Paul speaking to them, he says, For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. God called Paul and gave him purpose. And in doing so, God watches carefully over him and ensures that Paul will be able to accomplish the work to which he has been called. Chapter 23, verse 11, we first see that that call back then for him to stand before Caesar. 
The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And Paul has not arrived in Rome yet. But God, watching over him, gives him a message from an angel that reminds him of that call here to comfort him and to let him know that he's going to keep everyone for Paul's sake. Here in our passage today, the angel declares, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. Whatever the world might bring, whatever the storm might look like, God will ensure that we are able, we are given everything that we need to fulfill the purposes to which we have been called by him. We're talking about a God who has stepped down from heaven into his creation. A a God who has taken on flesh and humbled himself to the point of walking amongst his creation in creation and lived out his love for us, lived out his love for you giving up that body in your place at the cross for your forgiveness. How will he not also, with him, give us everything we need that we would succeed in his will for us? Deuteronomy 31.8, it is the Lord who goes before you. Not someone fallible, not someone who needs rest or sleep, Not someone who does anything evil or wrong. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. You see, we know the God who laid the foundations of the heavens and the earth and who is so sovereign, so omnipotent, so omniscient, so omnipresent that he can give us a complete free will and at the same time achieve all of his purposes for us. Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Of course, you may have noticed that God did not remove Paul from the storm, did he? He could have pulled a Philip, like he did back in Acts chapter 8, where Philip was caught up by the Spirit and put there to speak to the Ethiopian, and then he was caught up. God could have done that with Paul. Oh, I'm just going to take you to Rome. Here you go. But instead, he took him through the storm, right along with everybody else because God purposes to sanctify us through the storm. God knows that storms, when they are seen through, create character in us. James chapter 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God saves us right where we are. 
but he won't leave us there. He wants, us, he wants to see us sanctified to become more like Christ in heart and mind. He will use trials and he will use tragedies in order to draw people to himself and to build Christ-like character in us. And in doing that, he will give us greater opportunity to bear witness to what God has done in us through Jesus Christ. In our passage, we see how going through this storm has given Paul a, a the, the opportunity to build relationships with those around him, to build relationships of trust and understanding between him and the centurion. When the soldiers want to kill the prisoners, what does the centurion do? Verses 42 and 43, the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape, but the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land. The centurion spared them. Storms create character and opportunity. Candle shines best in the dark, doesn't it? If I had a candle up here and I lit it, you probably wouldn't notice it. But if everything was black in here and I lit a candle, all of a sudden you'd go, there's some light, right? That job loss that you've gone through, or that sickness that the Lord has seen you through or is seeing you through gives you an ability and it gives you a certain authority to speak Christ into somebody else's life who is or will go through that same trial. See, they won't be able to look at you and say, you don't understand, you've been guarded, you've been cloistered, you've been protected, you don't know what I'm going through. Because you have. You do know, and you hold to Christ. The death in the family that you're experiencing or have mourned will enable you to connect with someone else who goes through that same difficult experience next year. Uh, Naomi's ministry, the widow's ministry here at Alden Union Church is a beautiful example of God using the loss of a loved one to share the love of Christ. I can tell you, the wonderful women who attend that ministry, they know that they are not alone. They know, because they share Christ together, that even when they go home, and they're no longer with the other ladies, that they are not alone. You see, the world is a cursed place of storms and hardships, but God sees us through the hardships and the storms that the Christian might be an encouragement and witness to others. How does Paul, going through all of this, what does he do? How does he react to all this? Start at verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said... Men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet, now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men. For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. And then in verse 33, 
As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. The storm that wrecked the ship, the storm that threatened their lives, this hardship gave Paul the chance to be encouraging to everyone around him. And it gave him the opportunity to share his faith in God. He tells them about the God to whom he belongs and whom he worships. Paul knew the storm was an opportunity, a chance to bring them face to face with the reality of God. So he tells them of the message that God had sent through the angel, that God has spared all of their lives for Paul's sake in verse 24. And then in front of them all, a little while later, he breaks bread and prays to God in front of all 276 of them thanking God for what he had given them. There in the midst of the storm, it wasn't even over yet, and here he is praising God before everyone. And he does these things so that when they come out on the other side, then maybe they would be able to see how the words of God come together with the reality in which they live so that they can recognize what God has said is true. That's our call. To bring the gospel together with the lost. To fill the gap until Jesus returns. Jesus gave his disciples a mission, Acts 1-8, right? And then he went up. Now here we are in this gap with, with the opportunity and the time to share that gospel. Has God spoken to you? He spoke to Paul, right? Gave him a message to give to the others. Has God spoken to you? Yes, he has. 100% God has spoken to you. He has written you 66 letters to let you know his plans, to let you know his character and nature, who we are before him, and our need for Christ. And we need to know his message so that we can then share his message the same way that Paul knew his message and therefore he went and he shared that message with those around him. Scripture is so varied in its genres and its topics and its thoughts and its ideas. There is stuff in God's word that applies to every single area of our lives. We just need to be ready to recognize the storm in somebody's life so that we can insert into that storm just the right words from God. It connects God's word with the reality of their lives so they can see how they come together. This is one of the reasons we started this church-wide scripture memorization ministry. So we can begin to store the words of God in our minds and in our hearts. Get them in there. If you forget the reference, who cares? If you forget the exact words, who cares? 
you know, I've been quoting Acts chapter 1, verse 8 with all the wrong words this whole time. But that's okay. I got the idea in my head, right? I know the call of Acts 1, 8, don't I? If you've memorized it, hopefully you do too. If you've been here for the last two years, you've been hearing Acts 1, 8, right? Get them in there. Just get the things of God in there so that the right day, at the right day and at the right time, the Spirit can recall it to your mind so that you can bring, you can connect God's thoughts with people's lives. God has spoken to us. Can you approach the throne of God as Paul did in prayer right there with all those people? Yes, you can. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, you are dressed in His righteousness through His death in your place. You are forgiven of your sins through the blood shed for you. And you are capable of boldly approaching the throne of God, of bringing others before God in prayer. God's Word tells us that the prayer of a righteous person will accomplish much. And it's a righteousness not your own, but a righteousness given to you by Jesus Christ. A righteousness that is absolutely 100% perfect and unblemished. And I guarantee you, even the most ardent atheist will welcome prayer in the midst of a storm. The most hardened atheist who declares... Christ to be nothing and the foulness of God online all over their Facebook page and say they want nothing to do with God when their little girl is sick and they don't know what to do and there's nothing the doctors can do and you say I will pray for you they humble themselves and they say thank you we've seen it happen when they are at their wits end we can take them to the God of wisdom the God who wants to take them through the storm so that they will come to know him in the midst of it all. Walking with someone through their trials, having endured our own, builds and establishes relationships into which we can share the truth of God and the gospel. So take a moment to thank God for the trials you have and have gone through because those trials are opportunities in the making as we bear witness to the truths that the world is fallen in sin. But God will use the storms to draw us to himself in Christ Jesus, creating in us Christ-like character as he sanctifies us. And through those trials, giving us the opportunity to, to, to put Christ on display for others to see in our own lives that the lost might no longer be lost but that they would know the same eternal life that you already have. If you're here and you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and as your Savior, do you want peace in the middle of the storm? Do you want to know the God who can carry you through and bring you out on the other side redeemed, forgiven, and restored to your Creator? Receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today. Confess your sinful condition before a holy God. Repent of those sins. 
received the sacrifice of Christ that pays the price of your sin in your place. And walk in a renewed life and a relationship with God beginning today. If you want to receive Christ today, come up and pray with me right after this service. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for your word that that does not deny the reality of the storms of life and the difficulties and the hardships. And Lord, we do praise you that you you see us through the storms. You don't remove us from them, so very often you, you make us go through them. But Lord, it's so that we can connect with this lost, lost world. Lord, help us to see the advantage of the hardships. Help us to recognize the opportunities that the the trials bring us. Help us to know how to connect your word with those trials, to to do it in our own lives as we go through your word, as we pray to you, as we we see the connection of of passages and how they apply to where we are. And, And then help us to see where somebody else is in that same place and help us to bring those passages by your Holy Spirit in us together for them. Give us strength of heart and mind that we would display Christ for others to see and recognize that you are indeed God. We praise you this morning. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.